When I was young, I was a rock climber, and uh, I was a pretty good climber in my day. Um, you know, we would, you know, I've spent, you know, multi, multi days up on the El Capitan in Yosemite and some big climbs. So I was a decent climber. <clears throat> my, uh, my main climbing partner died about a year ago, and his wife ran across an old photo of us when we were younger, which he sent me just, just a few weeks ago. And there we are in the photo. I think I must have been about 30 years old. And we're standing there, and we've got our gear on, and we're getting ready to do the climb. And, you know, we were strong and young. And I remember that. It's like, like my legs were strong. They, they carry me anywhere. And then I look now, and, you know, I'm practically having to carry them around, my legs, as I've gotten older. <laughs> I can feel <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> like um, I used to have hair <laughs> I wasn't always gray I used to see myself when I would look in the mirror now I look in the mirror there's some old man looking back at me <laughs> Who is that old guy? That can't be me. What happened? Where'd my youth go? Right? Some number of years ago, I started getting some spots started kind of appearing on my forearms, my hands, and I thought, huh, what's that? Maybe I should just go check, get it checked out. I didn't know, you know, so I would just make sure it's nothing. I went to the dermatologist, and he, he said, um, uh, oh, it's nothing to worry about. He gave it some medical name. He says, oh, it's age spots. <laughs> I thought, age spots? <laughs> I, I don't do age spots. <laughs> and I thought, you know, don't they have some kind of laser that can kind of zap those off? <laughs> and then... I realized um, I have given so many Dharma talks on impermanence, old age, illness, and death. Really? That's fall view. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> no way. Found out I could borrow my, um, my wife's glasses and when I put them on, Everything's kind of fuzzed out in the mirror. Everything looks okay. <laughs> that old guy doesn't look, you know, so bad. I don't see any wrinkles. It's all just kind of fuzzy. But then I realize I'm not going to cover those spots. I'm not going to put on those glasses. That old guy, that old man in the mirror, that's my teacher. Right? I don't want to miss the opportunity that's being offered. What is he teaching me? He's teaching me, this is what happens to bodies. It's just like this. Right? He's teaching me if I'm clinging to my youth or 
identified with clinging with the body in any way. It's a setup for suffering. That old man is teaching me that clinging to the body is not a reliable path to happiness. Right? So there's a teaching there. Um, so I want to reflect on this idea of finding the teacher as we, you know, the, the teacher's always there every moment if we can be open to it. And you don't have to, look, I don't think you have to seek out the hardest possible thing that you can find. Right? You don't have to seek out difficulties. Um, uh, we just have to let each moment teach us. Right? And so this is what I want to um, explore this evening, uh, this idea of letting each moment, all of life, be our teacher. And you can try this attitude on as you will explore this together as we proceed through your day, through the retreat, through your life. And I found that that can... Um, can really be a, quite a shift. Um, now, the teacher uh, obviously takes many, many forms. Actually, I think the ways in which life as our teacher, the present moment as our teacher, can arise is limitless, right? Because it's we're all different, and there's so many moments coming and go coming. So I want to explore uh, one of the ways that. Um, uh, uh, one of the models that I think is very, very powerful that we can hold to help us really be attuned to life as a teacher. And, and, I, and it's something some of you have heard of called the uh, three characteristics of existence. Sometimes for short, we say the three characteristics. So I want to explore those a little, coming back to this idea of letting them teach us. So not just as a concept, but very practical. And then if we have the time, I might, I think I want to expand it just more broadly about this idea of opening uh, to the teacher. Um, so um, the three characteristics, I'm just going to name them all and then we'll spend a little time on each. Actually, Kamala last night on her talk on impermanence has taken that, that is the first of the three and she went into it in depth. So I'm going to just kind of spend a little time just for the continuity and completeness of the evening on all three on that, but I think she, and then we'll spend more of the time on the other two. So I'm, we're mostly going to stay in English. Um, I know several people have commented maybe Polly is not the right thing. I'm just going to name them in Polly because a lot of people have heard that, but then you don't have to remember we're going to go right to the English. So in Polly you'll hear Anicca Dukkha Anatta, but we'll translate it as uh, Anicca's impermanence. Dukkha, and we want to really spend a little time to, to understand what is the meaning, but for now we'll say suffering. That's a, it's okay for now. And then this anatta, which we generally translate as no self, sometimes you'll hear non-self, not self. What does it really mean? And again, uh, how does that serve us uh, uh, to uh, teach, teach us in the service of the, what we call the liberation through non-clinging? So um, impermanence, it's actually pretty easy to understand. We all, if you ask anybody, you say, is life impermanent? Is it transitory? Everybody goes, oh yeah, yeah. But we don't live our lives as if it's true. Right? We hate impermanence. 
when, it give, when life's given us what we want. Things are going our way. There's that nagging certainty in the back of our minds that the situation will inevitably change and the happiness of the moment will be lost, whether we're so conscious of it or not. So, things are going well. If we're not mindful and aware, we're not paying attention, we hate it. We love impermanence when you're not getting what you want or worse, you're getting what you don't want. Right? And we hate it. So, um, um, and we hear these teachings, but uh, right, right there is the, is, the, is the turning point if we can just uh, open up just to that, to notice we keep talking about, we've said over and over here, that we start to make a shift Right? A lot of Dharma, can you could think of it in one way, is just making a shift that's actually conceptually easy, but maybe not always so easy to do, which is rather than our whole happiness, our whole well-being, caught up in having or not having any particular experience, we start to make a shift, and can our well-being, our happiness, be more about how am I relating to whatever it is that's happening? Right? So... There's an, uh, so this reflections on impermanence, moment by moment when things are changing, you know, we've been talking about it over and over. Andrea was talking about it, just, I think just everyone, right? But we know that this, these are these conditioned patterns that run deep, and so this is, the pra- this is why we practice, right? So, um, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, um, there's a saying, and I don't, I don't remember where I got it, but uh, it might have been some Zen teacher, Life is like setting sail on a ship that you know is going to sink. (laughs) You know, we're laughing now. (laughs) But let me tell you something. We know how this is all going to end. You know ahead of time. And it's not anything going wrong. Right? We know that but we're also human beings and we feel the poignancy and the suffering of this human condition that we're in, right? right. Um, I, uh, uh, I belong to a gym, I exercise. Kind of my whole life, I've just, I'm not a bodybuilder or anything, but I've just tended to exercise uh, and I'll do some weights and cardio and I've just always done that. And as I've gotten older, I've sort of upped the amount and there's a person in my gym, he says, you know, I, I notice you're in here a lot. This is pretty recently, I said, I said to him, life's trying to kill me. (laughs) And I said, I'm not going out without a fight. (laughs) And he said, uh, well, we know how that's going to end, don't we? (laughs) So we know how it is. And yet, look, isn't it true? We all still keep planning and, and uh, you know, we want to, you know, uh, uh, attaining and building and striving. We're always looking to the future, right? I don't know that we're going to stop doing that as human beings, and I don't actually think the teaching on impermanence is saying that that's what we need to do, right? And just stop everything and become passive blobs or something like that. We, it, you know, we need to be responsible. We need to live. We have lives, you know, I don't see, we're not all living off in caves. By the way, um, let's not romanticize living in caves. Uh, 
there's a guy on the East Coast, uh, is it Seal Ratano? Is that the guy who was uh, Mahabua's senior Western? He's not known in our circles too much, but I actually spoke with this guy because a friend of mine went to military school with him. Then he went over uh, in Virginia and then went over and became a monastic with uh, Mahabua, which is, this is a serious guy in the uh, Thai tradition, and uh, was, I think, considered his senior Western disciple or something like that. And this is a guy who spent, Sila um, Ritano, I was just chit-chatting with him, an everyday guy, he spent 10 years, uh, I don't know if he's literally never left the cave, but he was settled, he was like known, he did 10 years in the cave, and he wandered for 10 years. And so it's just like, oh my God, you know, and I'm chatting with him and he's going, yeah, I tell you, um, it was tough, you know, you're in that cave every day and, uh, <laughs> and it took a lot because you didn't have the support and you just had to keep, keep it going. I'm thinking, I loved it. It was just like, all right, you know, it's like he's, he's, he's a person too. I mean, I'm, I have deep respect for this person's practice. I don't mean to be disrespectful at all, but... Anyway, I kind of got sidetracked and I said, we're not all in caves, right? So, you know, everybody finds their way and they're, uh, it's just, yeah. All right. There's a story that Ajahn Chah told, it's a pretty well-known story, some of you know this, where uh, they, they have what they call kutis, which are the little huts where the, in his monastery where the monks would live. And uh, someone reported to Ajahn Chah that for one of the young monks, I guess it had been a storm or something, and the, the roof had blown and the, had collapsed down in his kuti. And the guy wasn't pre preparing in the upkeep on the kuti. He just let it stay collapsed. And I guess, you know, when the sun would shine, it kind of scoot under the, um, like the lean-to of the roof. So Ajahn Chah, this is Ajahn Chah telling the story. You can find it in, in the books that transcribe his talks. And he said, uh, uh, I went and talked to the, to this to the monk and and the monk and told him you know you got to take care of of your you know do what needs to be done take care of of your dwelling and the young monk said you know i don't know what you expect of me i let go even to this amount and you're still not satisfied and then ajahn Chah said i said to him well, if you've let go that much, why do you even bother scooting under the shade? Uh, there he goes. And then, and then and Ajahn Chah says, some people can be so stupid like this. That's Ajahn Chah. And he said, we, he went on to talk to him about taking care of our responsibilities. So these teachings on impermanence, we, uh, uh, we want to... Um, uh, you know, it's okay to want to you know, have a good job and take care of life and everything, that's not what it's talking about. But it's this obsessive uh, never being in the present, always leaning into the future. That's, you know, and never finding the equanimity, the peace, the freedom. That's the, this driving force that the teaching is uh, pointing to. I may have mentioned that um, uh, my daughter had a baby about a month ago. I don't remember if I said that in previous talks. I've got a one-month-old grandson now. Um, and when I held that baby, God, I feel the emotion of it. I felt, I, I just thought, I did not say this to my daughter, but I actually thought, this baby's going to die. <laughs> and it was so, but, but it didn't, um, I wasn't kind of emotional at the time, but it made me just, 
hold the baby, it was even more precious and with more love. And when I reflect this, how it is for all of us here, it actually opens my heart in more empathy and more love. So, you know, just given the human condition that we're in, uh, really looking at this truth of impermanence uh, that we're all uh, living in, we are actually in, uh, you know, I don't, I find for myself, I don't pull back or get morose. It just makes me want to be, uh, my heart be more open and be more wise and skillful moment to moment with how I live. And so that's one of the ways that this teaching on impermanence can help us. It's not that we uh, have to learn how to deal with impermanence. It is the teacher. We don't have to go looking. The teachings are going to find you. right? So, if you're complacent, it's like when I was the rock climber back then, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just in it. That was my life. I had no idea how the body would slow down. I just couldn't get it back then, what was going to happen, right? And I was just in it, and I was complacent. I was a Dharma practitioner back in there, but it just really... So if you're complacent and just going along and everything's good, great. If you're clinging... When the situation inevitably changes, the teacher's right there. And you just have to be receptive, right? And sometimes, maybe... Uh, and what is the teacher showing us? He's saying, uh, when we cling, suffering is like... This is what it's like. Right? I don't... I don't um, uh, view the Four Noble Truths, the First Noble Truth, we say the truth of suffering. I actually don't view it as, you know something's wrong with you and you've got to correct yourself because you're making this big mistake. I view it as just a statement of the human condition. This is suffering when we cling, right? And um, so we can hold it that way and then we're right in the middle, actually, in our suffering of the first noble truth right there. You know, we want to understand the first noble truths. When you're suffering, you're in it from the inside, if we can hold it as our teacher, we come to know it, we come to understand it while it's happening, instead of just getting in a, in a fight, right? We just have to be open and receptive. So, enough on impermanence. The next, uh, the next of the three characteristics, this actually might be a good Pali word to, um, to know instead of the English. It's dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, dukkha generally translated suffering. Actually, um, that's an okay word, but it really comprises much more than that. If you go to the Poly Tech Society, Poly English Dictionary, I think, I'm sure it's online now, but I've got the old hard copy, and it's this big, like, 11 by 14 book, I think it's like, I don't know, 10-point font, and it's literally, I think, maybe like three or four pages to fully get the meaning of dukkha, pulling it out from all the different uh, text, uh, textual sources. The, if you go to the root, the etymology, uh, the root meaning, it actually means the wheel of a cart that's out of balance, or out of round. And so, you know, the ride's bumpy is really what it is. If you were going to pick one word for dukkha, suffering. I mean, that's fine. It's what we commonly use. But personally, this is just my own personal, I would pick either unreliable or unsatisfactory. Right? Because everything's not, um, you know, suffering when we were 
you know, those chocolates were out there. I took one, and, um, um, and I like a good dark chocolate. Um, when I was eating it, no suffering. <laughs> I wasn't going for a laugh. I just, I'm just saying, <laughs> no suffering, right? Just ate chocolate. It was great. And when it's done, I just move on and let it go. I'm not looking for the, that chocolate to do more for me than it's capable of doing. That's the key right there. That's what we mean by unsatisfactory. I mean, it's ultimately unsatisfactory. It may provide its pleasure in the moment. And I'm not discounting that, that that is a pleasure in the moment. But... Um, Again, I'm just repeating, because of the first characteristic, impermanence. There's no experience that you can have. Okay, here, let me just, this is the month-long retreat. Let's just say it out. There is no experience that you can have that is ultimately going to solve your problem. Because of impermanence. Even if you had your whatever, could set up your dream perfect life, even if you knew what that would be, and of course you can't do that, right? Because things are unreliable. It's still what's going to happen. It's, in the end, it's lost. So this is what we really mean by dukkha. And then that unreliable or unsatisfactory turns to suffering when we're clinging. So that's the idea of it, right? So, um, uh, you know, it, if it's not suffering when we don't cling, right? So if I see a beautiful flower and I'm drawn to it and I go smell it, that, that is sensual desire for sure. But if I, okay, but smell it, appreciate it, I let it go and I move on. No problem, right? You just walk away. You don't, it doesn't turn into craving and clinging. So when your meditation turns to bad, you all know what I mean. <laughs> and, if, and you have assessed that it's all falling apart. It has not turned to bad. This is the teacher right there. The teacher's saying, if that's what you think, you're suffering. There's the teacher right there. But if we can hold it properly, we see it didn't turn to bad and it didn't fall apart. There's actually no such thing as your practice falling apart. It just changed. Now, so, now you know ahead of time. Doesn't matter what it is, it's going to change. So we just know ahead of time. The reason we have to have all these practices is because the Dharma actually is conceptually simple. It's not complicated. But it's confoundingly simple. Right? That's the thing. So, um, oh, and by the way, this is important too. It changes due to causes and conditions not in your control. It is not going to ask your opinion. Some days I wake up in the morning. Something just hurts. No obvious reason. Right? And again... The body just went, went right along its way. 
didn't ask my opinion. What is my relation? Right there's the teacher. I can get out of bed and go, oh, geez, man, not my hip again. Oh, what's with my foot? You know, it's like on my neck. Or, yeah. Or it could be the teacher saying, this is what happened. This is what it's like to have your neck hurt. It's like this. This is what happens to bodies when the necks hurt. And when I'm clinging, the, teacher is, the teacher's patient. It's right there when I'm clinging and suffering to say, and this is what it's like when you fall into suffering and clinging about it. I, don't ha- I can just, there's the teaching too right there. You know, we don't have to seek out suffering. I, you know, we want to care for ourselves. We always say, and it sounds like we're going for a laugh, but it will find us. That's the teacher. And then what do we do when it's there? Are we open and receptive? Or do we add another layer on? You know, we talk about the, uh, like the two arrows, right, that we've said, right? I think we've talked about it a few times, right? The difference between an enlightened person and an ordinary person is everyone uh, is a human being. They feel all the joys and the pains and you feel the suffering, right? And, and it's like being shot with an arrow. And then, it, then our reactivity, our inability to be with things, we create this whole judgments, opinions, views. On top of it, it's a second level of suffering. It's like being a, 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 um, in a, um, a second shot with a second arrow. You may want to start paying attention as you go about by your, around your day. How much of your day are you walking around? You've got a bow in your hand. And you're carrying a quiver full of arrows, ready to shoot yourself. <laughs> I'm going to shoot myself. I'm warning you. <laughs> All right, I did it. I told you. <laughs> Listen to the difference in these two inner voices. Okay. This is one possible inner voice. When I sit to meditate, start to settle down, then my body starts to ache. So many thoughts come into my mind. My mind's not settled. My body is too broken and my mind is too damaged. I can never do this. Get that? Okay. Now listen to this. Uh, uh, second. I like same identical words. When I sit to meditate, I start to settle down. Then uh, body starts to ache. Um, so many thoughts come in my mind. I'm not settled. Get the difference? The second kind, there's a second way, is there's a kindness there. Same thing is happening. It's just what's happening. Right? Um, this, the first way was, first of all, that whole tone of voice, but also it added in our commentary, our opinion, our view on top of it. That's our second arrow. You know, my body's too broken, I can't do this. All our views about it right on top of that. Right? The, the first way the teacher is showing you, this is how it is to have a, um, when I sit down, I start to settle body starts to ache. That's how it is. Uh, And it's what it's like. Um, The thoughts come and you're not settled. But don't worry. The teacher is still there when you add in. 
I can't do it. I'm never going to do it and everything. Teacher's right there. Be open and separate. And all you have to look, let suffering be your guide then. Oh, mm, suffering. Okay. So we'll come back around that. Uh, let me move on to, actually these are all connected. The third of the characteristics, uh, which we translate as, let's just say, no self. So, first I want to tell you the actual meaning of the word, but even that we have to kind of, because the actual meaning of the word doesn't totally help us. Okay. So, in Sanskrit there's this word, um, um, Atman, and it means uh, uh, like a eternal, unchanging, permanent soul. Atman. That's Atta and Pali. You put an A in front, but I think, anyway, it comes out to be an A-N because of Anatman is no soul, which is uh, no permanent eternal soul, which is Anatta, right here in Pali. Anatta doesn't mean you don't have a self, it means no eternal soul. That's the meaning of the word. But we have to stop and be very careful here because the whole point of this I don't think is about making some metaphysical truth statement about whether you have a soul or not. You know, then we get into these Dharma wars. Well, you have a soul. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Some of you may be aware with a, of, of a very well-known um, um, story called the simile of the poison arrow. And just very quickly, someone comes to the Buddha with these metaphysical questions. I think there's 10. And... I don't remember the exact, but it's things like, is, uh, I don't remember, is existence eternal or not? Or is the body the same as the soul or not? Does the Tathagata, that was the Buddha's name for himself, does he exist after death, not exist after death, neither exist nor not exist, both exist, I know he's trying to cover everything. And he kept asking all these metaphysical questions, and I think this thing about soul, it doesn't, that's not exactly, but I think to me that falls in there because the Buddha's answer is, he says, it's like someone shot with a poisoned arrow. And before they let the surgeon take the arrow out, they, they say, well, wait, I have all these questions like, whatever, who shot me? Why'd they shoot me? You know, what, what was the arrow made out of? What was the person's clan? And they had all these, what was the material of the feather and everything? And even if you could answer all those questions, the person would die. What was needed was to get the arrow out. And the Buddha said in the same way, um, I, I don't teach that. What I'm teaching is what's useful and what I teach. And he said the Four Noble Truths. This is suffering. This is its cause. This is its cessation. And this is the way leading to the cessation. And this is the reason, because that's what's going to do you some good. So when we hear this, this verb and we go, oh, no self, not self, it means no soul. Okay, there's no soul. Just, I, I'm suggesting you just don't go there about the soul. Just leave it be. Let it alone. Anything you can know, experience, touch, feel, everything about your being, this, it's, it's pointing to don't cling to any of it. That's the teaching here. So we can keep calling it, there's been a bunch of notes actually, can you please give a better English word for no self? Maybe someone can't, I actually can't. I don't know what a better word, just, everybody uses it, just use it. But know what we mean, we're really saying, okay, so look, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but this is just me. You got a self. That's not, really, right? 
and you're all here, right? What's the nature of the self? And this is tied very closely to the top to the idea of emptiness. It's all arising and passing away with no. Uh, there's no Richard in here to whom this is all happening. My whole being. So really, what we find out about ourselves is, I think Lee Brasington said this, which I love. He says we find out that we're not nouns; we're verbs. We are a changing process. That's the idea of this topic on no self. It's about not clinging to anything, as the Buddha said, to I, me, or mine. That's the point. To free in the service of the liberation through non-clinging. And an image I like is that of a river. So if you ever go up, you walk up to the bank, there's the river. You go, yep, there it is, go away. Come back the next day, you look, Yep, same river. Really? None of the water is there. It's all changed out, 100%. If you kept coming back long enough, even the banks of the river, it would kind of eat away here, deposit more here. The floods would come through and even wash the bottom out wouldn't be the, or deposit more. Would, eventually, it wouldn't even be the same dirt or rocks or gravel or whatever. There would be nothing that was the same, but we keep coming back and say, yep, that's the river. I believe, for those of you who know the answer to what I'm about to say, um, don't, um, I don't remember exactly, but it's something, this will make the point anyway, something like every seven years, I think it's something like every cell in your body or maybe every atom or it's it's all been changed out something like that the whole, body. the whole body's been swapped out you know if some gets replaced and everything the whole thing but I still look in the mirror and it's like yep that's me except I'm open to the teacher I got that old man in the mirror. So it's me, yeah, in a certain sense. Don't cling, right? It's all, so you could think of yourself as a river of being, right? And when we can hold it uh, uh, that way, again, um, we can let go of everything. We don't have to cling to our views, our, all these three characteristics really, our opinions, our bodies. One thing I want to say, not clinging doesn't mean we disconnect. And I just want to hang out here for a moment. Right? Right. Sometimes we'll use the word non-attachment, which I think many of us have used here, it gets used a lot. Perfectly fine word, as long as we understand what we mean. Some people can take it to be detached, like I'm sort of the untouched, detached witness. Actually, I think that can maybe have a place, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. It's not about disconnecting, I guess is what I want to say. Right? When we let go, let go. I like the word disentangle, personally, because we're talking about actually not disconnecting, but profoundly connecting. Isn't that what we're doing when we uh, close our eyes? And most of you, I guess, close your eyes or you could meditate open. You bring your attention inward, right? We're connecting profoundly deep in, to, deeply to, is what do you say, plumb the depths 
of our own being. It's not disconnecting, it's connecting. But in a way that's disentangled. So that's the idea around non-clinging. So we want to take, we want to make sure we know it's not about um, disassociating or disconnecting, and that's not what we're aiming to do. Okay. So I want to spend some time now. That was kind of a, I hope, clear about these three characteristics and how, um, if we can keep that kind of uh, sensibility and, and attitudes in our mind, then rather than fighting life, it, it, we can see how it's teaching us about the way things are, including the way things are with us and, and how we create suffering and, and you know, can we discover the, the way to the end of suffering. So I want to expand a little beyond that and to just, there's, like I say, it's really unlimited the ways in which we uh, the, the teacher can show up for us. And I just want to give a few examples here of things uh, so you start to see that we can really broaden this idea of every moment as our teacher. So I remember one time on retreat, this is like, I don't know, back when IMS first, in the early days when they first opened up, I was sitting, you know, they have the fall retreat there. It's a long one like this. And next to me, I had a uh, loud breather and, you know, I, I nicknamed him the breather. And so there'd be time like, and I got to know when the breathers uh, schedule a little bit because he was sitting right next to me. So, um, you know, I, I knew my times in the hall and his time. And, um, but then I, rem I can remember like this time is like, oh man, it's the breathers coming in. It's like, this is my best time to meditate. He's ruining my meditation. It's like, <laughs> 10 in the morning or something, 11, my best meditation. Oh no, it's the breather. And, uh, <laughs> and then my mind was, um, the way I remember it, you know, these memories can get embellished. I've told this story so many times, but uh, the way I remember it is, I, you know, I went through some, like, some ill will in my heart about, like, whatever. Like, doesn't he know that he's, like, making noise? Or maybe he's just so utterly clueless or else just doesn't care, right? Or something like that with ill will could go a little bit. Um, it can be like that, right? But then I kind of woke up out of the trance and the kind, I realized that breather is my teacher. And what is he teaching me? First of all, he's teaching me that it's just sound. This is what it's like when there's sound. Actually wasn't disturbing uh, my precious samadhi. Tell you the truth. But I just didn't want to, you know, I want to quiet. This is what it's like when life's giving you what you don't want. And when you cling and suffer around it. But it was more than that. I re it, the teacher's showing me that I don't know what's going on with him. He may not be aware he's breathing, or he may have a medical condition. I have no idea. Doesn't matter. What's going on in me? All he's doing is breathing. I'm totally not mindful, and I'm radiating ill will. Way worse than him. Right? And I realized that's like, this is my teacher. And actually, it just shifted everything because right? I was able to take that attitude and 
just come to sit when he was there, great, when he was not there, great. And actually, I found a, a tremendous fondness kind of grew. I I've never spoken to him. I don't you know, kind of, but like I remember even, this is my memory that, you know, there'd be a time like, he's always here <clears throat> at this time, and like he didn't show up. It's like, is he okay? <laughs> you, know, you know, so we can shift everything if we can hold it, probably have the being open to letting the teacher show us, right? Actually, I just remembered another time. This is worse. Sitting on retreat. I think it might have been the same retreat. It was like 30 years ago or something. Sitting in the hall. Somebody's electronic watch was beeping every hour on the hour. One beep. Just beep. Beep. Just once. That's it. Then go off. And it was like a half second. It's nothing. It's not disturbing, but I'm getting annoyed. It's just like, and again, there's a little bit the feeling. I don't really remember, but I can kind of, like, there's the feeling. It's like, like the breather. Like, doesn't this person know? <laughs> They're watching. Like, they must hear it. Or, you know, do they care? And it's just like, you know, if they weren't just thinking of themselves or, what, you know, and blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and after two days, I realized it was my watch. <laughs> <laughs> That real, that's a true story. <laughs> I still feel a little embarrassment about that. <laughs> Just that. That was such a great teaching. I mean, now it does make a humorous story, but at the time, so much opened up for me about like, this is what it's like to be inside someone who is clueless. <laughs> right? That is empathy. I'm never going to criticize that whatever person who doesn't realize that every time they come in, because I know that place. Right? And I thought, um, oh, were all the people around me thinking towards me, oh, I'm their difficult person on the retreat. <laughs> I don't really know, but it's just like, that didn't feel that good. And then I realized, you know, um, but I know how it could feel if I was like, oh, I don't want to be that. Do I want to be sending out ill will to others, to them, knowing how, that would, how would they feel? And, and, it, and I realized, no, I don't. And it showed me something else, too. I have, I think I may have shared this in a talk, I have an, an aspiration to live in a way that my heart never ever closes off to any living beings, period. Right. I think I did maybe share that. That's a real aspiration I have, and, and I kind of got a laugh, but I wasn't going for it when I said that, you know, of course there's, I get to many opportunities, that's the teacher again, to see where more work needs to be done, but I want to stay, keep that aspiration alive and close to me. There was an opportunity right there. When the ill will wants to come up because I'm not getting my way or someone's acting, right then when the energy of something might be, and maybe I even know the energy's going in a challenging way. If I can remember letting it be my teacher because it's unmasking, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you come on retreat here 
And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, right? You're going to, you come here and you're doing metta practice, maybe. You're radiating metta for all beings, right? Great. You're going to leave this retreat. You're going to leave and you're going to encounter actual beings. <laughs> for real. And then we get to see how we're at. And we don't want to fall into despair if we get in, into reactivity or negativity. Right? Like, oh my God, it's all been a waste. Um, you know, um, I can never do this, whatever. It's like, because uh, what can happen is, um, you know, let's just say for, there's many qualities being developed. We have our equanimity and our sensitivity. Just to, there's a lot more than just that. Sometimes we can have a lot of equanimity, but the sensitivity maybe is running ahead of the equanimity and it still feels like we're getting buffeted. Right? Some, it, it can be not balanced in that. It's not out of balance, but I'm just saying it's just deeper than the equanimity in that moment. The teacher's showing you that when you go down, we don't have to beat ourselves up. I'm not saying you'll fall into negativity. But we just go back into the world. It's not such a protected environment, right? And so then we get to see. And rather than um, 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 not see it, the patterns, it'll show us. If you, you may not have that aspiration, you'll have your own uh, Dharma aspirations. That just happens to be one of my mind about my heart not closing off. And then actually if something happens and, uh, and my heart does close off, that person is doing me a favor and I try to hold it as the teacher as much as I can, you know, when we can remember and when we can do it. Even in the moment when it's really tough and with this particular person or situation, I don't want to. I don't want to open my heart now. That's not the feeling, because the energy of it, I say I don't want to, but I mean the energy, the feeling takes you in a certain direction. Right there, we can stay with that, and then that's what's teaching us right there. Wow, this is what it's like when it's harder. It's easy to be loving when you're loving. What do we do when we're not? Right? So how do we hold that and let it uh, just show us, oh yeah, this is a place where, where I can bring some more intentionality or some more work. So it's just all these ways I'm kind of talking about where we can start to shift our attitude and really, again, you can try that on when you go out. If we see, okay, uh, uh, life's my teacher, everyone's my teacher, and then when you get a teaching, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, we, we, we want to hold it that way with some kindness. Okay. So, I want to shift for the very end here about another piece of life as our teacher. So I've been talking a lot about this idea of moment to moment as much as we can hold the receptive attitude and be open to what life's teaching us. Then it can show us our own uh, clinging aversion, how we create suffering. There's other ways that we can, um, that the teacher can show up for us too and in, that's in deepening our empathy. And so we need to be open to these things too and I'll give you an example. Um, some of you are aware I'm the co-founder of an organization called Mindful Schools. Some of you may have heard of that organization. And um, Laurie Grossman and I started it and actually taught, created the first, now I'm not really that connected anymore, but 
it's a lot of good people are there. And it's a big organization. They've trained, I think, about a million and a half kids, about 30,000 adults, and it's just growing. I mean, it's really quite gratifying. And I didn't grow all that. I was just a little link in the chain that we got together and we started it, and then new people came in, and it grew and grew. So it's gratifying to have been able to... I did do my... You know, my link was a chain was important. In the beginning, I created the first curriculum, and I went into the first schools, and we were really going into what you would call in Oakland some of the, um, uh, I would call them underserved communities. Right? And I was in one school, and um, um, I don't think there were any white kids in there. It was all African-American and Hispanic. And a high percentage, I don't remember half the kids, maybe more, were in not in stable homes, um, um, you know, housing situations, living situations, a high percentage were on free or maybe subsidized meals, and that kind of environment there. Just lovely kids, but, you know, that was their world. You know, and I'm just coming in, I drive in, and then I leave and I drive home. So, uh, you know, I was really aware of that, so there's a little teaching there. And we did this, um, uh, we were doing these mindfulness exercises, the kids loved it. And, um, one of the things we did was um, one kid came up to me and uh, at one point he said, Mr. Richard, that's what they call me, Mr. Richard. He goes, after about doing this for a few weeks, he said, I just want to tell you, uh, mindfulness has been so great for me because um, when I take my garbage out, I'm not in a safe neighborhood. I have to carry a baseball bat with me. It's stressful. And now I just kick some breaths and I'm much more calm. Kid was my teacher. You know, there's two Oaklands, they say. What's like good Oakland and whatever, not good Oakland. It's not a good way to hold it, but they kind of talk like that. I'm in good Oakland. I know what people's lives are, but when I take my garbage out, I'm not thinking about it. I'm just taking out the garbage. Now, I'm not going to looking. Every time I take my garbage out, I'm actually aware that I'm not carrying a baseball bat. That I don't even have to. And it's not unconscious, and it brings into mind like other people's realities. And then when, we, when it opens us up in empathy, there's the teacher right there, and we start to see what we hadn't seen before. If we um, care um, about others and their suffering, we want to know, right? So when the teacher comes, we actually appreciate the opportunity. And then it's each for each of us, not just to know, but how does that move us into action? And that's, I don't, you know, we each have to find our way, and that's not uh, my theme right now and everything. And then I reflect, um, yeah, when I go out of my house to take my garbage, wait a minute, I've got a house. And I drive past all those tents in Oakland. And the people who, don't, who they wish they could get a tent, that'd be a step up. It opens up, I've got a house. So now when I come to my house, it's like, I've got a house. I'm in a house. Right? When I'm in my neighborhood, um, it just it wouldn't occur to me that it wouldn't be safe. So in these ways, just by one child, 
And um, I'll just give you something else here. Just um, I start thinking about everything that works in my house. And uh, you don't want to drive yourself crazy about this. That's not my point. You know, you could, it is no end. But just reflecting, right? And then uh, it's like everything works in my house. You know, I flush the toilet, it works. I turn on the water. When I, you know, you go out to that water fountain out there, uh, clean, safe water is going to come out as long as you hold the button down. And it's never going to stop. You could hold it down all day. And you'll never get sick from that water. So when I go out there, I don't just take a drink. Again, don't drive yourself crazy about this. This is what happened in my mind because I reflect now when I take a drug I'm aware that I'm not one of the one billion or whatever it is people who don't have ready access to safe reliable water again you can this goes on and on and on but just example the teachers can be there in many ways don't stir your mind up looking well what do I not see but when when they come to us and then it can open us in empathy maybe it inspires us to good actions in the world too again but the first part is just to, to know what you didn't know I'll just give you one more about this same school we're doing meta um, and we say like may you be happy and the kid we let the kids do it right May you be peaceful. And then I said, so does anybody here want to do a phrase? Here were some of the phrases. Uh, may you be sober. May you get out of prison. These are little kids. Damn, I'm crying in the Dharma talk. Is that allowed? I feel embarrassed. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to see these teachers. <laughs> okay, right. It is true. Crying in the Dharma talk on the month-long retreat and feeling embarrassed this is, is like this. Yeah. May you not get shot. It wouldn't have occurred to me that those are the metaphrases that would come. And we talk, we use the word privilege all the time. So think about it then. When I'm in here, I actually, because I've done this, and I, again, don't stir your minds up, but I'm actually aware that I actually don't know everybody's story in here. I want to be very respectful, and I hope I'm not triggering anyone off. I don't know what your phrases would be, actually. But for those of us who are, if you want to say, privileged enough, um, it doesn't diminish our suffering either. It doesn't matter if privileged or not. When you're suffering, you're suffering. But I can actually say, may all beings be happy and everything like that. And I'm aware I'm not saying, you know, maybe you uh, be safe in prison. So it can open us up, the teacher can open us up uh, to what we don't know. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
So all these different aspects of our lives. Um, and I know I keep saying the teacher this, I've said that phrase, the teacher, a lot. Um, but um, I've found that I, if I hold in my heart that um, everyone is my teacher, even if I'm faking it a little bit, but then it's like, oh yeah, uh, because I know what my intention is. And so what I appreciate, and I know this is true for everyone here, that we're all different. We've all got different goals here. But every one of us here, I feel confident, even though I don't think there's any one of you that I know well. We want to live in a way that creates uh, less suffering in the world for ourselves, for sure, and for others. We want to create, a, a, live in a way that creates more well-being, for ourselves and others. And so this, you can try this on as everything as a teacher is a way to help support you when you forget and also staying in touch with our good uh, intentions, I think, which is, is kind of the other piece, right? To, to support us, we need that as an ally and a support uh, when it is difficult. And the last thing I want to say, not trying necessarily to get a laugh, but because um, that got a little heavy there, um, but... Um, we also all know ahead of time that there will be times when we remember. There will be times when we forget everything, all of this. You're just going to forget. Right? We know ahead of time that that will happen too. And so we hold ourselves, rather than beating ourselves up and adding the commentary, I can't do it. That's a time also, if you can remember and wake up out of the trance of it, to realize that this is what it's like too, in the condition we're all in. But we're all moving in a direction that can only really go one way. So we don't despair. You know, in whatever way we apply ourselves, that's what's going to strengthen and grow. It's not possible to go in, for any, to go in any other way. So we can take heart, knowing that fueled by our intention and our good practice and everything, um, the wholesome will, it, it can it can only can only it cannot help but strengthen and the unwholesome can unwind more so we're on that path and maybe just knowing that being on the path and not judging how good or bad we think we are in any moment I think can be our uh, refuge in a way uh, so I appreciate your kind attention and um um, let's just sit for maybe half a minute or something and I'll ring a bell to end. So thank you all. Um, please, um, it takes me a minute or so to kind of 
get out of the, here <laughs> with my, so uh, please don't wait for me. It's please take care of yourself and it's okay to get up and, um, and, and move. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.